Good afternoon. You're listening to the Mother's Justice Show on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Reverend Walden. It's my joy to be on the air. Gee whiz, sometimes technology is technology. It does what technology does. But I'm here, and I want to thank all my supporters I, I, for uh, supporting Mother's Police Accountability. I, I, for, I, for I actually for Mother's Justice Show. Um, and also, th- this weekend was so busy. In Seattle, the only thing that was missing this weekend was the Blue Angels falling over, flying over, not falling over, but flying over Seattle. And I want to bring <laughs> my guest on to talk about all the excitement and all the wonderful things that happened this weekend. I mean, uh, it was an incredible weekend. How you doing, Mr. Rye? You were part of planning both of those events. My goodness, my goodness, you must be tired. Come and tell us all about it. <laughs> well, actually, it uh, both events kind of uh, gave me a, gave me an extra boost of power to do more things that I've been doing. But uh, <laughs> Saturday was uh, the centennial celebration for Garfield High School. Uh, I want to give a shout out to the chair of that uh, committee, which was uh, Lynn Jaffe, 58 graduate. Uh, Dr. Carver Gayton, 56, uh, Barney Hilliard, 56, uh, Pat Mouton, I think she was, uh, man, she might have been in the 80s, she's younger than us, and Sheila Johnson, um, and there were quite, quite a few other folks. Uh, uh, Dick Lee was the, the consultant that put that whole thing together, and I always teased him because he went to Ballard. He and Hayward, <laughs> Evans, he and Hayward Evans were beavers. When Hayward, <laughs> Hayward went there, he was the only black beaver in the school. He was in a busing program from High Point to Ballard. But oh, yeah. uh, Dick Lee uh, did an outstanding job uh, in putting, uh, doing the, uh, all the facilitating of uh, getting things set up, you know, and you saw it, you saw it yourself. Uh, oh, yeah. I, it looks like to me, over during the day, four or 5,000 people came through. Yeah. That's what it was like. There were people everywhere. And uh, we were going to get a couple of food trucks for uh, uh, our event yesterday. Uh, the 60, 59th anniversary, 63 March on Washington, D.C. And the food truck said they sold out of everything at Garfield, which is good because they're in business. And uh, Garfield had a heck of a lot more people than we did. But oh, yeah. uh, it was good to, uh, to have that experience. Uh, I don't, uh, they have a new principal at Garfield, Terrence Hart. Um, and in 2017, the planning began for the centennial. And Ted Howard actually uh, was the principal at Garfield. And then we thought we were ready to go. And all of a sudden in uh, 2020, uh, the uh, COVID pandemic hit. So there was nothing that could be done for two years. And uh, Quincy Jones was honorary chair, but uh, due to uh, his age and also uh, listening to whatever his uh, doctors have to say, he didn't travel, but he did send a a video. Uh, It was an amazing event. I I was, uh, they had class reunions uh, by decades really uh, when they got yeah. to be I didn't see that any people in the 30s and 40s but they'd be kind of up there in age anyway and doubt they would be there but uh, there fortunately uh, a couple of folks were in both of them so God is good all the time that's all I can say oh um, yeah but, yeah go ahead I mean I just uh, this is a bystander because I, I I saw something on Tony B's uh, I didn't come up I mean my uh, kids are some people were saying, "Well, where's your mom? Where's your mom?" But I said, "Oh no, I'm gonna stay in my lane." <laughs> yeah, no, no, you, you, because people love uh, Rum Harriet, and they, if they see Omari and Chikundi anywhere, they're gonna be asking, "Where are you? Where are you next?" Right. You can count right. on that, because yeah. uh, even though you're the mom, you're still an active mom, active <laughs> grandmom, and that which is great because uh, you're never too old to fight for the right thing, and That's I'm great. glad you're still on. Uh, uh, on the on the case, yeah. Then uh, yeah. yesterday uh, was the 50, 59th anniversary of the nineteen sixty three march on Washington D.C. for jobs and freedom. Uh, I guess the younger civil rights work uh, uh, leaders don't can't grasp or haven't grasped the sixty three march on Washington. Dr. King gave his "I Have a Dream" speech, organized by Bayard Rustin, A. Philip Randolph, NAACP, the Urban League and naturally the Black clergy, student organizations as well. Uh, and that 250,000 people at that march, and not one person got shot. And nope. in, addition, in addition to that, uh, at 63, we did not have any civil rights. The next year, we got civil rights for the first time since we've been on these shores in 400 years. And then the year after that, we got voting rights in 1965. 
And uh, this was due to Dr. King. And this was something led by black folks. And it was for black folks. I want everybody to be clear. Everybody else benefited. But, uh, you know, and we have new people coming in now and they buy into this racism. It's really unfortunate because one day your turn is going to come. But uh, uh, it's very, it's it's imperative that we make make sure that young folks, and some a little older, I guess they just don't care, but uh, uh, who's speaking at the meeting? So-and-so is speaking, I'm not going. Uh, you know, if Martin Luther King Jr., the civil rights workers had that attitude, we'd still be picking cotton somewhere. So unfortunately, uh, some of the younger civil rights leaders can't grasp the significance and importance of uh, the uh, 63 March uh, uh, on, uh, 59 years ago. Uh, and here we are right now. We all need to be coming together because the same fight is waiting for us right now. If certain people have their way, you will not be able to vote. And I've been saying for the last several weeks, and some people got upset, but the black men and women in the military, in Japan, in South Korea, in Germany, in the Middle East, and and, uh, wherever they are, their enemy is not in those foreign lands. Your your rights have been uh, prevented from you participating in the system right here in the United States. And now I just heard today that if if Trump is impeached, or if he's indicted, I should say, there's going to be a riot in the streets. So I'm saying black folks in the military, y'all need to come back here because to where you are fighting for other people's rights, how can you do that and your people can't vote here where their rights are being challenged right here? Black folks in the military, y'all need to come back to the United States of America. It says protect the Constitution from enemies foreign and domestic. The Constitution is being challenged right here in the United States. The enemy to the constitutions are not on foreign shores. They are right here in the United States. Well, you know, I I agree with you uh, on that, Eddie. And uh, also the people who you're talking about, young civil rights uh, workers or uh, people wanting to be part of a civil rights movement, uh, they they can't call themselves civil rights, uh, 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 part of a civil rights movement if they don't know the history and honor the history. Because uh, that's why we are in this trouble because we don't connect the dots you know, nothing happens in America in a vacuum. Everything that has happened in America is because of our organizing. And one of the things that um, I'm going to call up for some of the pastors, and and I want them to get to this this clear understanding, is that um, the GOP uh, they took a page. Uh, the, the evangelicals uh, who who they went and got to come be part of them. Uh, back 40 years ago, they took a page out of our book because after affirmative action and and, uh, and a lot of black people got good jobs, people stopped organizing. Organizing for us stopped, went down and uh, when Reagan came in. And they picked up organizing because we had we've been organizing for our own freedom ever since ever since uh, ever since we were in bondage. We've been organizing and we stopped the continuous pressure organizing uh, right around the time when affirmative action came in and they picked up. They never went home in 40 years. That's why they got what they got. We never went home. If you look at all the records, black people were either led by the NAACP, you know, or Marcus Garvey or whoever it was, uh, you know, I mean, the Urban League, people never went home. They were always organizing. And so they got this because they took a page out of our book. And we need, to, we need to teach that, we need to own that, and we need to get our organizing back up because people got comfortable jobs, they got everything else. And, and these other people, they, 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 wanted to, they wanted to win on principle because they don't care if newborn babies don't have diapers. They just want them to be born. They don't care if the newborn babies, mothers don't have an apartment to live in. Uh, they won on principle, not on what's going to make America better. And we won on beyond principle. We won on what's going to make a better America better for us. But also, as you mentioned, other people came to America, and the people who were here, uh, uh, they 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 uh, benefited from it. And so some of the people benefited so much until they even wanted to go to court in later days to take away affirmative action because they said that, you know, uh, we didn't need it. And some of the same people who benefited from it on the end came and organized against us. So we need to understand the power of organizing. 
And this is what I tell people all the time about mothers. They say, why, you went, why, why are you still out there? I say, because you always got to have somebody at the table. You got to always be able to say, hey, this is what's going on. We got to get people out. And that's what you do. Uh, and now we have to pass that to younger people. Is that because you work for two years, all of a sudden you're going to come out of the legislature because you got you, you can't take it. I mean, you know, I mean, just think about Piggy Max and let's think about it. And even Sam Smith, because yesterday you gave an award <laughs> to our mayor <laughs> in the name of our, our, our former rep, our city council member and state representative Sam Smith, right? Yes. Yes, we did. And uh, we have awards named for people who have done things in our community. Um, well, we had had one for, uh, uh, we've had several awards named for uh, prominent civil rights leaders and primarily locally, like we've done one for Jerry Weir. Right. Uh, we've done um, one for a significant number of folks. But I just wanted to go back tomorrow uh, to yesterday and say that both Dow Constantine and Mayor Bruce Hill did provide uh, proclamations. And as you saw, uh, State Senator Bob Hasegawa presented the award to his daughter, Senator right. Toshiko Hasegawa, Seattle Poor Commissioner. And right. Toshiko was one of the members on the inaugural MLKCC committee. Uh, she and uh, Dominique Stevens did a lot of the emceeing the first, the first several events. Then uh, Mayor Bruce Harrell spoke. He, you just mentioned he received uh, an award. And then uh, State Senator Claudia Kaufman uh, received the Roberto Maestas Award, yes. and uh, that was presented by me because I was one of the people that occupied Beacon Hill School on behalf of El Centro de la Raza, and then later on, a few months later, I led the takeover of city council in support of El Centro de la Raza. That picture is in there right now. Right. So uh, uh, Senator Rep uh, Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos, who I didn't find out until yesterday, was a cancer survivor. Survivor. She presented uh, the award to the Sierra Sisters founder, uh, uh, Bridget Hempstead, who right. was there. Mm -hmm. And uh, Pastor Braxton gave an outstanding speech. Uh, Reverend Zachary Bruce got the inaugural Reverend Dr. Sammy Berry McKinney Clergy yeah. Leadership Award. Yeah. And as you, can see, you can see that he exactly got five churches in the building, has made some very strategic moves in terms of, of a, a being able to capitalize on on his assets, and uh, he had does have a lot of people around all the time. Uh, uh, we had uh, 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 several other speakers as well. Uh, so, but the most important thing is uh, for our civil rights holders. Oh, Michelle Merriweather, uh, the president yes. CEO of the Urban League Metropolitan Seattle, was honored. Uh, let me tell you the rest of them before I get in some trouble, and. Uh, we mentioned uh, Claude Murphy, who was the first vice president of the NAACP. Right. Uh, he received the Bernie White Bell Living Legacy Award. It was presented both by uh, Larry Brown, president of the Washington State Labor Council, and I brought uh, Claudia Kaufman's husband down, uh, Larry Cordier, who's Lakota Sioux, and they jointly presented the award to uh, Claude Burfecht, who was yeah. the first vice president of the NAACP. Uh, then uh, we also honored Tisha Marie Wozencroft, she got the Berlin Jones Advocacy Award. She is the founder of Legally Black over in Tacoma yes. and Pierce County. Yes. They've been doing some outstanding work and showing up for people who are being uh, victimized. And they get there after the police leave or while they're there, and they won't leave until the, the people are safe. So right. uh, uh, those are, are the awardees. And uh, uh, and I mentioned that Bruce here, you mentioned, we mentioned Bruce already. So, uh, and then uh, uh, Michelle Mary was, was uh, the uh, Edwin T. Pratt Award, Community Service Award. Right. Bridget Hempstead from Surrey Sisters was the Odessa Brown Humanitarian Award. And Toshigo Hasegawa got the Aki Carosa Public Servant Award. And uh, I mentioned that uh, Claudia got the Roberto and we, and then, uh, Claude got the Bernie White beer, which was presented by Larry Brown. So, uh, we know uh, those folks were there, and some civil rights people who should have been there, uh, Gabriel Prawl up from the A. Philip Randolph. Oh, yeah, Gabriel was there. People, yeah, because A. Philip Randolph, uh, and I, I told that story, I met A. Philip Randolph when I was 12 years old. My father was designated. His older brothers had their children in college. We were in Alden Shreveport, and all my cousins went to Southern. 
And they said, well, no, send Eddie, because his kids are still in grade school, uh, junior high school, so send him. And if anything happened to him, we can take care of his kids. It won't cost much. But anyway, so in 1950, my dad started coming up here. He had a room with the owners of the Madison Street Cafe, Terrell and Lloyd Martin. And I eventually got a job from them when I was in the sixth grade. And then the family moved up here in 1952. And my, the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters was the only union a black man could belong to in those days. So right. I just wanted to, to uh, I mentioned that as well. And I told you the story about El Centro de la Raza, the involvement we had there. So uh, uh, overall, uh, for Tony B to, to, to broadcast this, we also will have this available on the MLKCC website, along with all the uh, people who stepped up to the plate to help us sponsor this event. So right. they can look forward to seeing that and hopefully uh, hear the, as much of the program as they'd like uh, on, uh, on, uh, as soon as it's posted up on the website. Well, you know, it, it was a great, it, it was a great two days. I, I and really, uh, actually in the centennial kind of started on Thursday because it was a lot of community people. There was a lot of things going out in the community, a lot of people gathering. And I mean, the amount of pride that comes out of Garfield. I mean, I, my son Tootley told me that there was some one person, I mean, it was, you know, it went by decades and said somebody was there that graduated in 1948, somebody mm -hmm. graduated in 1950. I mean, because it went by decades and, uh, and just the excitement in the building. I mean, it's amazing. No matter what the age was, no matter it was, it was multicultural before they came up with the word multicultural or, or, or inclusive. That's because we all had to live in the same neighborhood. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Japanese, Jewish folks, black folks, a uh, few Filipinos, and uh, and the Chinese community. And we had a working relationship with uh, some of the Chinese restaurant owners would uh, hire black bands uh, to play in their and venue, and then. Uh, back in those days, in the early 60s and stuff, uh, late 50, the 50s and 60s, we had the Birdland, which is on 21st and Madison, where the Safeway is, owned wow. by the Mardi Gras owner, Wilmer Morgan. Uh, right. And right next to Morgan was Gideon's Drugstore on on the, the 21st side. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. And, I and Dr. Joyner was neck on the side, other side of the Mardi Gras. Right. And the Central Contracts Association back in the 60s used to meet at the Mardi Gras. Wow. Yeah. And uh, Jim Takasaki was a treasure. And he's wow. also in uh, Seattle had a lot to do with the form of National Association of Minority Contractors. Uh, between, and they uh, organized it and uh, had it uh, in Oakland, California in, in uh, 69. And the Panthers started out of Oakland, California in 68. And uh, so uh, that uh, we, some other people got involved. I, I was one of the co-founders of, co of the Washington chapter. So I went back on the board because people were making disparaging remarks about a historical black organization. And some of the folks were not black. A couple of them were, uh, you know, to have a president from Portland, Oregon. What does that look like? What does that say about the intellectual capacity and the expertise of black folks who are Washington state citizens? So uh, I did not support that at all. But anyway, folks started bad mouthing and uh, about the sister treasurer. Well, it was ran a minority business development agency, and you go make these derogatory statements. So anyway, Grover Johnson out of uh, Pierce County and Kitsap County, uh, and Bob Armstead and myself came back on the board, and we're going to be looking for Larry Sampson and Sean uh, Vinson and some younger folks to come in and take our place and so that we can maintain as a national organization. It has a Washington, D.C. office. I'll be back at the board meeting representing the Washington State chapter on the 13th and 14th of next month. And okay. then two weeks after that is the Congressional Black Caucus Annual Legislative Conference. So I'll be making both of those, God willing, because uh didn't make Tunica this year. It had They moved it down one weekend. And uh, last Saturday, August 20th, was my sister Brenda's memorial service. Because she died during the pandemic. We never could put her away properly. Yeah, so she yeah. had a celebration of life uh, at the chapel at Lakeside, uh, school where she was retired as a librarian from upper school. Wow. Well, you've been, uh, we've been doing a lot and I give you my condolence on your, on the passing of your sister. It's a lot of people that just now uh, spring, now before the end of summer, they are actually doing some celebration of life for their family members that passed away in the last two years. But, uh, and, and I think I know that you're doing a lot and I appreciate the work, but I know last year, in the last couple of years, we talked about 
Black Caucus looking at a desert need for uh, for the descendants of uh, of, uh, of, the, of the stolen ones or descendants of the enslaved human beings. So I don't know if that's still it. Uh, I'm, I'm pushing it every time I talk to him. I'm pushing it because of the fact, uh, you know, folks been here 400 years. Matter of fact, America is a, a superpower economically because you had 250 years of free labor. That's right. From African descendants of the United States enslaved. So if you can take up legislation to make it right for everybody and everything else, it's a time to have a federal designation and a department in every federal agency ran by us for us, a designation uh, for African descendants of the United States enslaved. It's just that simple. We don't compete in no other thing with no a whole bunch of other folks. Right. Because right. we gave up 250 years of free labor. And That's then right. after the Civil War during Reconstruction, we had over 1,100 Black elected officials, are primarily down south. Right. And, 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 you know, and then all of a sudden, just like what's happening right now with Trump, people change their mind and white privilege gets invoked, even with violence. Right. Uh, so we can even go back to the, the three civil rights workers. You right. Know, I mentioned right. all the stuff we see on TV about the police. But uh, oh, I do want to say I support Adrian Diaz to be the chief of police. <laughs> well, you know, you know what the chief said uh, when I talked to him I, 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 about the, uh, after the torchlight parade. I mean, he was so uh, 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 ecstatic about all of the black people that all the when they're doing a parade, he was marching, passing by. And people say, we support you, chief. We believe in you, chief. You know, we think you're a good chief. And you know, I mean, contrary to what people in the uh, what what people outside our community uh, believe that uh, you know that we don't want the police or we want to defund the police, they never did talk to the broader spectrum of, uh, of the community. And so he was disempowered by that. He said, "Wow." He says, "He's no." He says, "There's so many black people." I said, "Yeah." I said, "Because because everybody else who has to be all the noise and was making all the noise don't speak for everybody. They wouldn't even entertain." Um, they would even entertain talking to us who actually know history and know about the black community and what is occurring right now uh, and knowing that some things might go awry and they didn't talk to us, might go hey, it might go sideways. So uh, you're right about that. It's a lot of, uh, the chief has a lot of support uh, out there uh, in the community. And, uh, and, and so he was really, uh, he was really, he was really jazzed about that. So uh, I appreciate what you said, uh, said there. Um, you know, I mean, um, the Seattle, uh, and, and you know, I think I think what is really strange is nobody takes any responsibility about what happened in Seattle. I mean, the council, you know, I mean, some, you know, the last three people didn't not support the uh, council and giving the mayor a package to be able to have incentives and and to try to rebuild the police department. So, it's, so it's like you still have a, a, a people who represent people who really don't want to see Seattle have a safe community, have public safety for the whole city. So um, that's really, that's really interesting. You know, really, really interesting. So, um, well, this is uh, just good. All I can continue to say is that this weekend to me was one of the best weekends I've seen in Seattle in a long time. And I told my children, <laughs> I say, all the thing you needed now was the Blue Angels. I mean, because yeah, you, yeah, all, yeah. you all really did, you all really did uh, jazz it up. I mean, to me, it was uh, it was one of the it was one of the most exciting things. And um, and see the mayor over at Garfield, and he said, you know, I'm the mayor of Seattle, but hey, I'm a bulldog, and everybody just went. <laughs> yeah, well, he was a, he was in the dog house, but That's I want right. to say that. Uh, Seattle Police uh, Fire Chief Harold Scoggins and Seattle Police Chief Adrian Diaz both were at uh, MLK Park yesterday for the 59th anniversary, the 1963 anniversary of the March on Washington, D.C. for jobs and justice. And uh, you know what? Uh, you're going to have to keep marching for jobs and justice. And if you're leading a civil rights organization, you really need to get busy. And I'm a little bit concerned about some people who have never been involved with civil rights. Well, I'll leave that alone. Well, but also, you know, what I want to what I want to commit to, if God allows, is I want to commit to next year having a lot more young people there because there's a lot of these agencies that get money from the city. I mean, you know, to actually be working on safety and all these other things around black community. I mean, and this was a perfect event for them to be too, because it's like connecting the dots. We will never get to where we want to be without honoring and understanding the past. Well, you know, the problem is that uh, we had promoted the Seattle's Office of Ar Ar Arts and Culture, 
and come to, I was notified that, oh, you guys don't have a contract. And I'm saying, we got the mayor being honored and the city department heads can't acknowledge that. And I'm really beginning to wonder about some people making decisions. Uh, 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 are they familiar with the 63 mile? Were you even in town? Were your parents in town in 63? Do you know right. what it was like before? That's how you got your civil rights from marches like that. And then you're from somewhere else and you can't, you can't uh, support uh, 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 civil rights and can't acknowledge Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, you know, I think something's seriously wrong with that. So, well, I mean, you're right about that. And, and and that's why we have to continue to tell our story. And, you know, our story is parallel uh, uh, with the Native story. You know, they lost 18 million people when the colonizers came. I mean, we know that. We know what has happened to them. I mean, and these are uh, uh, on the reservations that really was uh, war camps. And we know that they're still fighting for uh, justice because there's not a casino everywhere. So they're still fighting for justice. And so are we. And for the other people who don't understand that and they have the animus against us, well, you know, we just decided to live out of all we went through. <laughs> we decided to live. Uh, and, and, and our living has given us all of this great glory that we have uh, and we continue to work at this. We're not asking anybody to give us any favor. We're asking what's rightfully ours. We have earned it. We have earned it. We've earned it. There's no question about it. We've earned not only with free labor, but also defending the country, dying right. on foreign shores and coming back to discrimination and segregation. That's no, right. it's time for blacks in the military. I'm very sorry. We are supposed to protect the Constitution from enemies, foreign and domestic. Well, our enemies right now with voter suppression are domestic. With threats of riots in the streets, if Trump is impeached for being a criminal, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very sorry because you know who will get shot at. Okay, so I'm just saying we need those folks with the military expertise here defending our communities and our people. Well, I tell you, I mean, for somebody who might wind up being going down in history as a traitor to the United States Constitution, and then other people are saying that they want to be in the streets. Well, then they're very, uh, they're very much un-American. Uh, they're very much, I, I, I don't think they've ever read the Constitution. Oh, but these are the people who actually used to, who used to always talk about the Constitution. They wanted, they wanted balanced budget. They wanted small. And law and order. And law and order. And they attacked the Capitol Police. And now they, now they threatened the FBI. You well, know, and, also, uh, and, then, then, and so the first thing they said is defund the FBI. And I'm saying, OK, you guys, you don't have a clue. Just a year ago, they were talking about what's wrong with Black Lives Matter, talking about defunding. Here they come. They're exactly. law and order, but yet they don't have any respect for law and order. None January 6th proved that. And these people going around with the try attacking the FBI are proving that. Oh, yeah. You know, it's only about I mean, really, it's about them. It's about them winning. They're not interested in the big tent. I mean, they got Herschel Walker and a few other uh, black people. And I heard somebody out there and uh, out in out in Kent or the uh, part, part of the South County running on a Republican ticket. I mean, this yeah, is yeah, his name is Bill Boyce. He's the uh, president of the Kent City Council, and uh, so he is running as a Republican. So well, we need but, to find out if he has a MAGA hat or well, if he has a Trump endorsement. Well, but the, but the other thing, too, is that this is not Lincoln's party anymore. Oh, not it's at all. not been the party of Lincoln a long time ago. So this is this is a new iteration of the Republican Party. It is not Lincoln's party. I mean, a lot of black people keep coming out because they couldn't vote in the South as a Democrat. So some of those people uh, I was Republican, but that was part of the Lincoln's Republicans. And that day is gone. So it's going to be really interesting uh, how people are going to stand up to this. But I know one thing, when you go to Washington, D.C., you're going to come back with information for us. And uh, we're just going to be looking forward to see what we're going to have to be working on down uh, in Olympia this year. I mean, next year, because we know that we know that they're coming back around. We want to turn this state blue red. <laughs> yep. So I tell you, people better get well, out. And Washington vote. is red. There's no question about it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, well, I'm so glad you had I'm so glad you were involved with the organizing and we had a great weekend. And like yesterday was a great uh, it was good. It was a great turnout. And then Saturday I uh, was off the chain, as the young people can say, uh, you say I watched it. I didn't go up in there, but I tell you, I, yeah. I'm so I'm so inspired by the energy that what Garfield means to the whole city. 
Yeah. Not only to the central area, but to the whole city. So yeah. uh, Barney Hillier was responsible for organizing all the musical venues. And uh, like I said, Quincy Jones wasn't able to travel, but he was an honorary chair. And uh, give a shout out to Lynn Jaffe, class of 58. She was the chair of the overall centennial committee. And we yeah. did have representation on the executive committee as well. Right. And, you know, Chikundi was out there doing something with the Esquire. So they were out there doing some stuff and posting. And posting. And I went to Garfield High School. They got all of those people posting pictures from all around the country <laughs> with their purple and white on. So that's one. Right. Purple that's and right. white. And I saw your purple and white. You were pretty cool. <laughs> I saw you. Yeah, you were looking good. You were looking good. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate yeah. that. All right. Young people say for being an OG. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were looking good. All right. Well, you take care. And thank you for being on. And uh, thank you again for all the work you've done here uh, uh, this past weekend. And if you're not tired, you're doing good because you put out a lot of work. <laughs> thank you much, ma'am. I appreciate you, Reverend Marion. Oh, you're welcome. All right. You've been listening. You listen to the Mother's Justice Show on 1150 KKNW. I'll be right back. Thanks. The Public Defenders Association's Racial Disparity Project is proud to sponsor the Mother's Justice Show in partnership with Mothers for Police Accountability and other community allies. The Racial Disparity Project fights for police reform and helps to increase understanding that issues of addiction, mental illness, and homelessness can be better solved through public health strategies than through law enforcement. The Public Defender Association Racial Disparity Project reducing racial inequality in the Seattle King justice system since 1998. Hi, this is Dr. K. Mahina Intron, inviting you to tune in on Mondays on 1150 KKNW at 5 p.m. to Dr. K's Attuning to Your Abundance where we honor everyday abundance through positive messages, poetry, music, affirmations, and writing exercises. For more information, contact drkworkshops at gmail.com or Facebook, Dr. K's Abundance. An alternative to everything else on your radio dial. Alternative Talk, 1150. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Mother's Justice Show on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Robin Walden. And I want to just uh, talk a little bit today about the um, untimely uh, death of uh, John T. Williams. Uh, he was be tomorrow will be 12 years since he was murdered by John uh, by Ian uh, Ian uh, Burke. Uh, and um, we were part of the organizing committee, Mothers for Police Accountability, the American uh, Friends, uh, 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 the American Friends, uh, uh, and um, and we set up this coalition. It was called the John T. Williams Organizing Committee uh, uh, at one time. Uh, and um, um, John T. Williams was a wood carver. His family has been carving wood. I've been a wood carver in the Seattle area over 125 years. They did come from Canada. Uh, and they are uh, spectacular uh, wood carvers. And uh, the day that he was killed, I, I, August I, I, 31st, um, uh, 2010, uh, he was crossing the street uh, and his head was down uh, and he was in, he was, had a, a carving knife out because uh, it just looks like a paring knife and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't any danger to the police officer. And he was uh, walking across the street carving. Uh, and Ian Burke, uh, Harlot, you know, said, stop, stop. And then, you know, four seconds after he said, stop, stop, he was shooting him. He shot him. Uh, and uh, almost, almost some of the shots uh, might have gone uh, in his back. He was absolutely hard of hearing. If that came out, that didn't come out during the inquest because the inquest, uh, the inquest just does not... Um, uh, in those days, all they asked was the police, uh, what would they fear for his life or, you know, was his safety in jeopardy and those kinds of questions. Um, but uh, also what was so important about this case is that the uh, uh, the deputy police, the deputy, uh, 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 the interim, no, not, not interim, but the deputy uh, uh, police chief, uh, uh, Nick Metz, uh, came out and said the shooting already was justified. And then there were some witnesses, one credible witnesses. One lady was a witness. One of the witnesses worked as a nurse from at Harborview, 
And all these credible witnesses said, no, that's not true. He was just crossing the street. That's all John T. Williams was doing, just crossing the street. And uh, and uh, he was an artist in his head, and so he was carving, and he was not a threat. And so as a result of this, uh, of this uh, uh, untimely uh, death, uh, organizations came together. And one of the things that we did um, uh, is that next two days after he was uh, uh, murdered, uh, we, uh, Mothers for Police Accountability, the American Friends Service, and other groups, we held that first press conference. Uh, and it was on a Friday. Uh, and that following Sunday, we met at Jay Hollingsworth House uh, on Beacon Hills. Uh, and, they, and then uh, um, there was some, some Native people there uh, that was helping with that. And, um, and then after that, we started the John T. Williams uh, 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 Coalition. And later that became the uh, John T. Williams uh, uh, Organizer Committee. Uh, and, um, and, and what we did is that we worked together. I mean, we had a, just a tight coalition. We worked together uh, to bring justice for um, to bring justice for um, for John T. Williams. And the Native American community decided that they didn't want any violence. They were peaceful people. They marched downtown in silence. Uh, uh, they came and took over the city council downstairs. They came over. They came into city hall. It was not. Uh, it was very peaceful. Uh, and uh, and then it was uh, one of the city council persons who was in charge of uh, public safety did have a uh, had a had a public hearing, you know, for the people to come and talk about what what had happened. Native people, you know, native people. Other people stood behind native people because native people can speak for themselves. They didn't need other people speaking for them. They could absolutely speak for themselves, but we stood behind them. Mothers for Police Accountability, uh, like I said, yeah, and then after that, part of this coalition going forward was that the ACLU, uh, MEDC, I was MEDC, uh, that uh, the, the MEDC uh, Coalition for Police Accountability, we reenacted that coalition. Uh, and that coalition worked tireless. I mean, we met every week from 2011, uh, actually to 2013, I mean, because we worked I the the goal was to eventually bring the DOJ to town. And if you think back to 2010, quite a few things happened. You had the shooting of John T. Williams. You had the uh, the the punch that went around the uh, the, the country and around the world of the young girl over by uh, Franklin. She did not cross the bridge, uh, the the sky bridge that, uh, that takes you across uh, Rainier. And I asked one of the representatives that went to uh, Franklin. She said. Don't nobody cross her. I mean, she went to Franklin many, many years ago. She says, nobody ever uses the bridge. The kids run across the street. I did it when I was a teenager. And so uh, I, the young girl uh, got hit by the police. I mean, she hit him. He hit her back with the, the full weight of what he could. And then there was a kick. A police officer had kicked a young, uh, young African-American uh, at one of the convenience stores. And so we had all of that going on in the summer, in the, uh, in, in the summer of 2010. Uh, and, uh, and so people just came together and we stayed on this. We did not leave the family alone. And then there was another uh, group called, uh, called uh, Indian for Justice. Uh, and they were going around also uh, uh, empowering people uh, to speak up and, and to be engaged and to stay involved with this. I mean, because number one, he, and I, and I think the sadness about this is that uh, John had kind of like disappeared on some levels and the family was kind of looking for him. And he had just come back to be with his family less than six weeks before he was shot by the police. And so, uh, and so that added to the sadness uh, 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 of, this, uh, of this case, uh, of this shooting. Um, and that uh, the, the uh, Tim Ford's office was involved uh, as the attorney of note on this case. Uh, and uh, it was a bad shooting. And, and what happened, what was really terrible about this case, we had asked Dan Satterberg to alert, let the, at least let the family know in advance if he was not going to uh, file charges. And he didn't do that. And police and, and, and Chief Diaz allowed uh, Ian Burke to, re to quit 
before it was announced that it was an out-of-policy shooting. Okay. And so had it been, uh, and so he was able to quit, uh, consequently to go work someplace else. Because in those days, I mean, he was not, uh, he was not uh, uh, decertified. And so that meant he was still able to go to another precinct, another the district, uh, jurisdictions and get a job. And one of the things that I'd, I'd like to say about, about, about McGinn, a lot of people said a lot of things about McGinn when he was a mayor, I mean, because he was riding his bicycles and, you know, and then all these bicycles, whatever, uh, you know, the Seattle, they was putting in the bicycles lanes and, and all of that. And a lot of people was upset. But the one thing, the outstanding thing about, uh, about uh, Mayo McGinn is that he's one of the few mayors that when he got new information, he changed the narrative because he kept saying that Ian Burke had been uh, decertified. And he would say that out in public. And then when we showed him that that wasn't true, that he was not decertified, that he was still able to work as a police officer, because in those days, in order to be decertified, the only, the only way you could get to become a decertified police officer is that you would fly uh, in. It was no other way now with what has happened after the George Floyd and all the police accountability that the uh, parent, that the families of affected the people who've been affected by police violence, they worked on so hard in 2020. Now, some of it did get walked walk back in 2021, but uh, I think that what did not get back, walked back is the ways that uh, police officers can be, um, can be decertified. And now it's been ex uh, expanded more than uh, just because just because of lying, because uh, sometimes lying is hard to prove uh, uh, and those kinds of things. Uh, so so that was one of the things that happened. So Dan Satterberg uh, did not let the family know. And so we had two we had two letters ready. Once thinking, I mean, the American Friends took the lead on that because they were the technical assistants. Mothers was there as part of this coalition, but we could not offer the technical assistance that American Friends Service did. And Sherry Day was the point person on that. So Sherry Day worked for American Friends Service, but she was the point person on this. Uh, on this. And so we had two letters ready. One to, to, to go to Dan Satterberg, thanking him for letting the family know if he was going to file charges or not, you know, I mean, giving them a heads up on that, or if he was not going to file charges. We had a letter thanking him, uh, you know, if he was going to file charges. And then we had another letter, you know, just like, hey, why couldn't he file charges on this case? I mean, it seems, you know, we were upset. And, and so consequence, what happened in this case is that he did not let the family know. We found out about it like six, about five hours after that. I mean, and, and so we had, we had to call a press conference. Of course, we had to call a press conference, and we did. And we also, and in the meantime, we had gotten up a petition and that petition was actually led by the, like I said, the uh, the the, the uh, American Friends Service, and uh, Sherry Day was in, involved with that. And it was a it was a petition, and people to ask the petition to sign to ask the prosecutor to uh, prosecute the uh, pro prosecute this case. And as we know, as we might know today, it's been it was it hasn't been since the 1980s has a police officer in King County been prosecuted for a crime. It's been a long time. Uh, and even in the Charlene Allows case that just happened, uh, I, I, the inquest that just happened, even in the new inquest process, it did not, it, it, it did not make it better uh, uh, for the families. It did not in this particular case. And that's one of the things that uh, Mothers is going to be looking into. I mean, we want to have more information about uh, what happens if the, if the police uh, statements does not uh, match what the coroner's office said about the body. I mean, and, and, and if uh, the police statement says they were running, they were trying to get away from somebody with a knife, and if the, and if the disposition of the body says that the bullet entered into the back of the person uh, and actually was shot in the back, and, uh, uh, because the one thing about the, they, the office is they would be able to talk about what angle the bullet came into the body. And so, uh, so going forward, we want to know more information about that. But the process as it was at that time, they always found for the police, uh, uh, and that, uh, and so the other, the other option for the family 
is once there's a is once they decide that there was an in, in policy shooting, there will be no charges uh, uh, against the officer. All of that's gone out of the window, and that's why families are so still upset, uh, and, and that this guy still has a job somewhere. And right, you know, right families they don't get over this. I mean, it's you know, it's no place to go on this. I mean, other than the fact. That, I mean, there it probably was a monetary uh, 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 finding, I mean, for the family on the civil side of the court, uh, of this case. And I think that the Tim Ford's office, I, 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 I represented the family and that was a financial, uh, that was a financial settlement. Uh, and uh, uh, John T. Williams had no children. And so that settlement went to his mother and his mother passed away the next year. And according to uh, uh, John, according to uh, Rick Williams, two other family members passed away. So tomorrow, we're asking people to show up at the at the peace poll. I mean, and this is what they did. They decided to do something to make a statement for peace. I mean, and they carved these wood carvers. I, I led by uh, John. I, I met by Rick Williams. They carved a totem. It was the first time in almost 75 years that a totem had been carved and raised here in Seattle by Native people. And they worked on that for many, many months. And they and and they brought it up that hill. And I'm sorry, I don't have the date that was on a Sunday. We were all over at the Seattle Center. Uh, we were right there. It's right there at the corner, uh, right across the street from McDonald's. When you come in that way, there's a, there's a totem. It is spectacular, and this is what they did for peace. And uh, and so we'll be there tomorrow. I'll be from eleven to two. Come and support I, I, I Rick. He's a he's a wonderful carver, an outstanding carver, like a seven generations of carver carvers. And one of the things that I talked to Rick about, I mean, I was just interested in seeing how we could get Rick to come to our community and teach our children how to carve. It would be much better for them to have a carving knife than to pick up a gun. Much better to create life, create something beautiful than to harm somebody. And you know, I'm still I'm still working on that piece to see how we can do that uh, because I think it, it is so beautiful. And this is what they did for the city of Seattle. It's called the Peace Pole. And if you've gone to the Seattle Center and you might have noticed it, or if you didn't notice it. Well, take notice of it today, or I mean, take notice the next time when you go uh, to the Seattle Center and you go in that entrance, entrance right there to the Seattle Center. It is absolutely lovely, absolutely lovely. So we'll be there tomorrow. I'll be there. I'll be supporting Rick. I mean, I and I heard, and I'm and I'm understanding, I'm hearing that he probably might be moving from Seattle. I mean, he's a, you know, he his art. I mean, his uh, his, his carvings are for sale. And so he'll have some work there tomorrow, and I'm hoping that people can come and be able to buy some of the art. And if you can't buy the art, maybe you can donate to Rick and just donate to his life and then, you know, pour something into him and, and thank him for keeping this memory alive. Uh, and it's been, a, you know, it's it's been tough. Uh, I don't know how many siblings that he has left. And um, most of probably the other siblings live up in Canada, probably. Uh, and so here, his son now is the eighth generation of carvers. He has taught his son the uh, the art of carving, and, and it's beautiful. And this is what we can do also. They came in peace. They didn't burn that one thing. They didn't break that one window uh, at all. But they came in peace, and they made a big statement about peace. And that uh, they didn't want anybody being hurt in John T.'s name. Uh, they didn't want anybody going to jail because they had harmed somebody or destroyed some property. They came in peace. And that peace uh, it was so loud. It, it was felt everywhere. It was so loud that they came in peace. They marched down 4th Avenue. Uh, they came into, can't march down 5th Avenue. And they came into the Seattle. They came into City Hall uh, 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 down at, uh, downstairs and Eventually, like I said, it was a town hall. They got to speak. They got to be heard. And people want to be heard. Uh, and uh, and I also, like I said, uh, there's a lot of organizing uh, around this. There was a lot of uh, speak outs up at uh, Daybreak Star and the Seattle, uh, uh, the Seattle Club. 
uh, down uh, Chief Seattle Club downtown Seattle, uh, down on Second Avenue. And also, I mean, uh, under the good leadership of Carlene Echohawk, who's moved on to another position in the city now, I mean, and uh, in, in part of working with Native people, I, Native, uh, housing has been uh, built there. I mean, Native people uh, need housing. And so it's housing being built right there next to the Seattle, uh, uh, Chief Seattle Club. And this is wonderful. Of course, a lot of Native that's here uh, homeless. Uh, also, I mean, uh, they come in from the res, uh, uh, and, and sometimes they need to leave the res because things are not always good there. But there's a, still a lot of discrimination against Native people. This is their land, and they never did. It is their land, and uh, and sometimes we have to recognize that and and and, uh, and and honor that. It's okay to honor the people who were here. I mean, and they're still here. They're not all gone. They're still here, and we want to be part of being part of that tomorrow. So again, it's tomorrow at the Peace Pole, right across the street from um, I, my McDonald's entrance uh, of the Seattle Center there. Uh, we'll be there tomorrow from 11 to uh, 2. Come and uh, say hello to Rick. Uh, uh, and if you never met Rick, just come, just come, be there. Be in solidarity. We can be in solidarity with quietness, uh, peacefulness. I mean, uh, there's many ways, there's many paths to freedom. Uh, and uh, and they've demonstrated there's many paths to freedom. So uh, again, I, I was part of the John T. Williams Organizing Committee. I want to give a big shout out to uh, to Jay Hollinsworth. He's keeping this committee going. Uh, we were all appointed uh, uh, out of this organizing. We were all appointed by the uh, by by McGinn uh, uh, to be part of the Community Police Commission. That's uh, the DOJ did come to downtown. They found a, a pattern of practice of unconstitutional policing and some other things going on here. I'm running out of time, so I won't be able to talk about all of those, but but our work brought the DOJ to town. Um, and uh, they're still here, they haven't finished yet. I guess they'll soon be going, I'm not sure yet. But listen, come tomorrow, come to Seattle Center. Let me see you there. Tomorrow from 10, I mean from 11 to two uh, at, at the Peace Totem to support, uh, to support Rick Williams. Thank you so much for listening to the Mother's Justice Show. I'm your host, Reverend Walden. I want you to have a good holiday weekend, and I'll be back the second Monday uh, in September. So school is, uh, look out for the children now, and uh, make sure you look out for them and to keep them safe, because we need the children. All right, take care, and I'll be talking to you soon. This is Reverend Walden. <laughs>